Good morning, everybody. How's it going? Very good. Good to see you all today. If you want to stand, we'll pray, and we'll praise God. Father, we're here for you and you alone this morning. I just pray that everything we sing, everything we hear through your word, just brings us closer to you today, God. Help us push more of ourselves aside today to serve you better, serve your church better, God. We're here for you. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for all you've given us and blessed us. So we just slip this morning and this time up to you. Praise you. Amen. Oh Lord, my 
seated kids you can you're dismissed all right thanks you guys hey Wes well that was kind of an epic song that we just sang but it embodies everything that is within the storyline of the Bible regarding our destiny uh, that we share together as we uh, take Jesus and make him our king and our Messiah and that is really why we're here, the first day of the week, to set the tone for the rest of the week based on the fact that that is our story and we are, we are uh, a people destined, uh, carrying the hope of Jesus Christ in our hearts, sharing it with the world, and then eventually realizing it uh, whenever we see him face to face. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, and sometimes um, I know when we gather, we sort of forget where we are and who we are. I was just talking to somebody a minute ago, and I asked them, I said, you're retired, right? And they, they smiled at me and said, yeah, kind of like, yeah, you knew that. I told you that a while back. But, you know, during the pandemic, we, we have had, like, no placeholders of anything because it's all just been the same, right? 
And it's sort of like I can't remember things from the past 16 months because the pandemic has, has basically leveled out all the experiences, so I can't really tag it to anything. Am I the only one that struggles with that, or does anybody else have memory loss issues like that? Well, because there was no story, there was no connection, there is really no sense of, um, uh, uh, of really knowing where, where your place is and all of that. And I'd like to compare that with what we are doing in this room, tagging our lives to the story of Jesus and finding our identity and our purpose and our role in life relative to that story. And if you're not familiar with that story, we've been going through the book of Luke, and I hope that it has helped you to tune in to exactly who Jesus was and what he called the disciples to do, and then what he is calling us to do. And we've been working on that and then trying to apply it in our lives. Uh, but anything that we do uh, requires a little bit of preparation. One of them is, um, as we gather for worship, uh, we should always ask the Lord to help me to kind of leave myself outside the door and to come in with a, a spirit of, of humility and expectation that we will hear his voice. And the second thing is, um, as we pray that, uh, we'll just pray collectively uh, that God will work through us as a body of people. So we're going to take a minute and do that. But before we do that, uh, 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 for those of us who are, who are here, uh, we want you to um, just um, present a few prayer requests if we have them. And, and those of you online, please just uh, uh, text us or uh, let us know via comments in the YouTube or the Facebook uh, 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 application, uh, your thoughts, your needs, your prayers, and we want to help you out there. So let's just uh, start with a few. I want to mention um, uh, uh, Coleman um, uh, Cutler is um, having a review of some tests this week that have had bearing on his uh, issue that he's been struggling with, with, um, with seizures, and I know mom and dad would really like to see that come of a, of a, of a healthy conclusion for him. Uh, so be praying for Coleman, um, and uh, just in, any others in the room today that we want to uh, lift up before the Lord. Anybody have anything on your heart? Um, yes, let's start in the back with, um, oh, Pat, hey, Pat, okay, Pat Sheen. Okay. 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 So your cousin Betty Lou, um, recovering from a stroke. Uh, so that's Pat Sheen. Anyone else have anything that's a burden that you brought into this room that we can be praying about? Yes. Okay. So um, your son, Adam, broken collarbone. So uh, be praying for that, and I'm sure it's really not been a fun summer for him. Okay. Any others, Teresa?
Okay? Wow, wow. Your friend Grace's daughter? Okay, Heather's daughter Grace hit and run and then ran over again. Cannot even imagine. Uh, but please be praying for this family then. Any others? Okay. Uh, Alice? Uh huh. Okay. Okay. All right. Be praying for your mother who's having some liver problems. Okay. Let's go ahead and just this. Oh, yeah. One more. Okay, so keep uh, Carol, Tim and Carol's uh, son, Chris, uh, in your prayers. He's going through a divorce and just not a very good set of circumstances for that family right now. Well, would you bow with me and let's take this time before the Lord. Father, as we have just declared uh, the story that involves us with the life of your son, how he is the Messiah, the King, by our definition, in some ways, the president, however you want to describe the person who is in charge. Lord, you are more than that, though. You are king of kings, and you are lord of lords, and you are sovereign over all. And because of your status, we are so grateful and humbled by the fact that you would look at each of us and say, I want you to be a part of my family. And because of the great love that was expressed so profoundly on the cross, you made that a possibility by transferring us out of the dominion of darkness that kept us enslaved and kept our minds disoriented and kept our, heart, kept our hearts in places that we found ourselves sabotaging our own lives and our relationships. And you have taken pity and mercy upon that state and you have transferred us into your kingdom and you've given us a new hope and you've recreated our lives that are now centered in you lord jesus in such a way that we are being transformed daily by hearing your word attending to it in a way that begins to shape us by sharing it with our our spouses our children our co-workers and just meditating on its substance so that we can have wisdom. And as you begin to redefine us, Lord, we thank you that we have that personal aspect that engages your word in conversation with yourself. And I pray that all of us in this room, if anything else, would move just beyond the word as an end in itself, but rather see the word as a means to you and your feet. And so I pray that everyone here would begin to know you and have a personal relationship with you and that we'd be able to translate that into how we influence the people around us, our, 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 our spouses, our children, our, our co-workers, 
we thank you, Lord Jesus, that even as we gather, we can personally call you Savior, and we can corporately call you our Lord and the one who is um, the definer of what it means to be in community with you. And Father, as we bring these burdens that have been mentioned, we ask that in the images that we saw in the Gospel of Luke of compassion and healing, we pray, Father, that you would touch these lives that we've mentioned, that you would bring uh, about the, the miraculous effect that is subtle and nuanced sometimes and dramatic at other times, where marriages are healed and lives are restored and young, young, young bodies and brains that are struggling with seizures are touched by your mighty hand and made whole. We pray, Father, for concerns about health matters that involve parents, and we pray that your mercy would be there and that your grace and your peace that passes all understanding would help those who are facing challenges of that nature through this season. We pray, Father, that you would be with this young girl that has been hit by a car and ran over again, and we just think about how disastrous that is for the whole life that is unfolding in, in front of her and the heartbreak the parents are feeling. We pray that you would shower compassion upon them and help them through this time. We ask, Father, that as um, we, we, we look at um, uh, those around us that we know are hurting, we pray that you give us fresh eyes to see and fresh ears to hear. We pray that you would restore broken relationships, that your spirit of unity would prevail. Even as we sang about the story of your son, we also see those images of your Holy Spirit being the one who activates within our hearts that new person that you are creating. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you into this gathering, into our hearts, into this conversation that we're having in your word. We invite you into this body that there would be a spirit of unity that would prevail. And Lord, even as we just take the sequence of all of these asks, we pray that they would emerge in a, a strong church that would be committed to making disciples and to serving and to growing and experiencing you, Lord, in our lives together. We pray for those who are online who are watching and listening. I pray that that would, that would encourage them in the place that they are at and and if they're able to get re-engaged with the body so that the experiences of life in service and together of you and your grace flowing through that would begin to, to, to just show uh, that level of what life is like in you and the joy that we discover. Father, we just pray that this vision would continue to emerge in this body. We pray for our kids that as uh, we're seeking a, a, a youth director in that area, we pray that you would just bless this process and bless Matt as he and the volunteers have attempted to take this season and to rebuild and to renew and restore um, uh, the, the emphasis that we're having with our youth. But we also pray for families that are connected to each kid, that there would begin to uh, uh, develop a layer, a bond that has you in the middle of that conversation. And that in, in, in these things, Lord, um, from this church, uh, your purposes would be fulfilled. And as we consider that, Lord, finally, we pray that we would take the Lord's Prayer not as an, a, a ritual that's empty, 
but as a ritual that is meaningful and fulfilling and reinvigorating every week. So let's pray that prayer together. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Are you guys comfortable? Hot, cold? I can't tell because I, I get kind of worked up up here. And then I'm like, well, maybe everybody else is hot too. Um, okay. One second. And I might have you guys, if you don't mind, just uh, fire that one up a little more, too. All right. We want you guys to be able to attend to what's happening and not be, not be sweating. I just talked to somebody who was in Romania, and they went to a church service, and it literally went from 8 o'clock in the morning till almost 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Solid. In a non-air-conditioned place. In the summer. With sweltering heat. Can you imagine the suffering? that was happening in that room. And this person actually was invited to come up and speak. And uh, she was the last one. And she just basically said, I know it's hot, and I know you want to get out of here. I just want to tell you I'm so-and-so from the States. I'm connected to so-and-so. And, um, and, and I'm grateful to be able to take part in this worship service that my family for generations before took part in the end. My guess is they were so thrilled they were ready to take up a collection. But, you know, who knows? And as we get in, into our, 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 our message today, I hope that God is doing something like that in your heart where you leave here with a sense of, yeah, that was a good thing. And so I'd like to ask you, if you would, um, if you have your Bibles with you or your phone app, or if you just want to look on the screen, uh, we're going to be taking a peek at Luke chapter uh, 9 and uh, we're following the story in a way that um, is showing a big moment in the life and ministry of Jesus as he is, um, he, he's really starting to engage the disciples in ministry at this point. Before then, it was sort of like, I'm showing you how to do it. Now he's telling them what to do. And it starts this way. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. Let's just stop right there for a second. Do you guys remember a study called The Power Habits of Jesus? Do you remember that? We talked about this a little bit uh, because Luke repeatedly mentions how Jesus withdrew and he prayed. And then he reengaged. And it was so important for us to take a look at that because there's a lot of noise out there that's clamoring and trying to get your attention and mine and sometimes creating fear and worry and anxiety. And Jesus had the exact same thing happen. He had a lot of noise directed at him that was making it necessary to step back and say, God, I want to make you my primary focus right now. 
And each of us needs to do that um, often in the course of a week, if not just once or twice or a few times. And Jesus is showing them, this is what I'm doing. And it's not accidental that he is also doing it with 12 other people because he's showing them what it's like when he withdraws. And the reason why is because he has an intention here to do something so epic that it is reverberating through space and time to this moment. Did anybody hear any loud booms last night, by the way? I, I live in the valley, across the valley, from the Salem uh, Motor Speedway, and, um, or drag, drag strip, or whatever you want to call it. And last night, I was sitting outside, and I heard a boom. And I'm like, what in the world is that? And I heard a boom. And then I heard it a few more times, and I heard a boom. And I'm like, now the booms I get, but I don't get the boom. And I'm like looking at Mayim, and I said, I've never heard that before. That's new to me. And then somewhere in the recesses of my, my old and crusty brain, I do remember going to the drag races one time and watching the jet cars. Wow. Unforgettable. That image of Les Shockley's shockwave starting real slow, and then by the time he gets to the end of the runway, he's going like 2 million miles an hour, and I'm like, I hope he can stop, or I hope that farmer doesn't mind that his cornfield is going to get extra crispy real quick. It was, quite honestly, amazing and powerful in ways that are certainly uncommon. And Jesus, in effect, was having that kind of an impact on the little part of the Roman Empire that was kind of a backwater in the eyes of everybody. But the people that were there, well, they knew. And they knew he was up to something. And some people were very excited, and some people were sort of taking it as arm's length and saying, interesting, intriguing. Other people were getting increasingly upset because the impact that he was having was disrupting their world in ways that they, they really couldn't stand. And in effect, that really is what Jesus does in life. We are either primed to receive from him a good word because probably we're broken and we're facing some kind of problem or challenge that is too overwhelming and we need him. There are other, others of us that life is going pretty good and we're like, it's interesting, but don't need to get too close right now. And there are others where when we read the Bible or we hear the words of Jesus and then we start thinking about our own life, well, it's upsetting because he's calling us to do something that we don't feel comfortable doing and maybe will require some, some sacrifice that we don't want to make. And that really is the the situation at the ground level in the book of Luke. And just to kind of put it in a little bit of perspective, I, I like the Bible Project who has this incredible way of summarizing things on video that uh, helps us to capture in our spiritual imagination 
how the story is playing out. So I'm going to ask uh, Connor if you can just show that real quickly. Place the story of Jesus going to his hometown, Nazareth, where he launches his public mission. At a synagogue gathering, Jesus stands up and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah, saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor and freedom for the prisoners, new sight for the blind, and freedom for the oppressed. Now, along with the other Gospels, Jesus is presented here. He's the Messianic King bringing the good news of God's kingdom. But what Luke uniquely highlights are the social implications of Jesus' mission. So he brings freedom. The Greek word is aphasis. It literally means release, and it refers to the ancient Jewish practice of the year of Jubilee described in Leviticus 25. It's when all Israelite slaves were released, when people's debts were canceled, when land that was sold is returned back to families. It's all a symbolic reenactment of God's liberating justice and mercy. And then Jesus says that this good news of release is specifically for the poor. Now, in the Old Testament, the poor, or in Hebrew, ani, it's a much broader category than just people who don't have very much money. It refers also to people of low social status in their culture, like people with disabilities or women, children, and the elderly. It also can include social outsiders, like people of other ethnic groups, or people whose poor life choices have placed them outside acceptable religious circles. And Jesus says that God's kingdom is especially good news for these people. So after this, Luke immediately puts in front of us a large block of stories, showing us what Jesus' good news for the poor looks like. It involves the healing of a bedridden sick woman, or a man who has a skin disease, or someone who's paralyzed. There are stories here also about Jesus welcoming into his community a tax collector, like Levi, who's not financially poor, but he is a social outsider. There's a story about Jesus forgiving a prostitute. Luke showing us how Jesus' kingdom brought restoration and reversal of people's whole life circumstances. He's expanding the circle of people who get invited in to discover the healing power of God's kingdom. And as Jesus' mission attracts a large following, he does something even more provocative. He forms these people into a new Israel by appointing over them the 12 disciples as leaders corresponding to the 12 tribes of Israel. And then Jesus teaches his manifesto of an upside-down kingdom, or as Luke calls it, the sermon given on the plain. He says God's love for the outsider and the poor means that his kingdom brings a reversal of all of our value systems. He is here to form a new alternative people of God who are going to respond to Jesus' invitation by practicing radical generosity, by serving the poor, people who are going to lead by serving and live by peacemaking and forgiveness, people who are deeply pious but who reject religious hypocrisy. Now, Jesus' radical kingdom vision, his claim to divine authority, it starts to generate resistance and controversy, especially from Israel's religious leaders. His outreach to questionable people, it's a threat to their religious traditions and their sense of social stability. And so they start accusing Jesus of blaspheming God, of being a drunk and mixing with sinners. And so this section culminates in a new revelation of Jesus' mission to his disciples. He says that, yes, he is the messianic king and that he's going to assert his reign over Israel by dying in Jerusalem, by becoming the suffering servant king of Isaiah 53, who dies for the sins of Israel. And then... Well, and then you'll have to wait till next week, and we'll show that last slide. But if you've been following, you, you kind of catch what's happening here. 
people have been waiting for a long time for God to show up again. And in anticipation, uh, at the right time, God introduced to the world his son. The perfect image of what it means to be a man, a human being, but also what it means to be a human being that reflects the heart and the mind and the intention of God. And the example that this human being, Jesus, in that form, displayed for all of us was, in a way, embodying an answer to a question that I think many of us in this room have. And that is, what does God look like? What is God's character like? Who is this God? And I know when you say the word God, even Christians have that sort of thing in their mind, like, I'm not really sure because he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's all-sovereign. But what God wants us to bring to the level that we can comprehend him in answering these questions is a simple answer in the form of a person who embodies all of the characteristics that God, as we try to imagine him, would, would, would tell us these are the answers to your question. And what's so powerful about this is that he's looking not only to satisfy some kind of intellectual pursuit, but rather he's addressing how you and I, as we get up every day and we face a world, as it says, on hee-haw, gloom, despair, and agony on me. You got it. You got it. Points for you. Wish I had something to give you, but um, I'll just give you praise for uh, knowing that song as well as, as I do. And it's a funny song, but it's kind of true. We face all of these forces that are beyond us that at times threaten us, that overwhelm us, and they dishearten us. And when God looks at us, he says, I have the answer. And it's my son. And that's what Luke has been trying to show us. But the answer expands beyond that because the expectation is he's going to leave, but he's going to depart with a promise that the Holy Spirit is going to be enabling us to do those things that you and I can't do when we just get up in the morning and we eat our bowl of cereal and we say, after two cups of coffee, I think I'm ready to take it on. No, he's saying far beyond that. I'm going to be at work in you if you ask me to be at work in you. I'm going to be at work in your, in your family if you ask me to be a part of that. I'm going to be at work in your work if you ask me to be a part of that. I'm going to help you each day to overcome those forces that would push you down. And if you're not capturing that in your faith, then we have some work to do. But I hope, if nothing else, your imagination is starting to be um, kindled by how this story affects how we understand our life in the Lord. And I use that word imagination kind of carefully because we've been kind of shy of it. But it involves images that define how we process things. 
And at times, um, when we're facing a problem, we need, to, we, need to, we need to figure out what to do about it. And at times when we're asking the question, what is God really like? There are times when I just point people to that scene behind me. And I say, if you really want to know what God's like, that's a pretty good picture right there. But there are words that follow that image that we need to, we need to begin to define. And here Jesus is explaining. But the question still is, who is God? Who are you, God? And it centers now on really, who are you, Jesus? So let's continue. Who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old is risen. But he says to them, who do you say? Who do you think that I am? And for the first time in, the, in, in Luke's whole story, the right answer comes up. Because we read next, Peter answered, the Christ of God, the Messiah of God, the King of Israel, of God. And then he tell them, and strictly charged them, and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever would um, lose his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and lose or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the, and the glory of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Jesus never said this to these guys before, and they're like, I'm sure they're thinking, we got to take a minute and process this. And sometimes when you hear something, you don't really hear it because you're thinking, what is my, well, how am I going to respond to what Jesus said more than thinking about your response more than what it is that Jesus said and what its significance is. And Jesus is basically throwing out two very powerful images. And he says, if you're going to follow me, which you've been doing, it's going to involve a level of sacrifice that basically requires you to make the decision. I'm either all in or not in. And that whole all-in thing is pretty scary, isn't it? It is a way of saying that, in this case, when you have to take up your cross and deny yourself, it wasn't like American individuals, like I'm going to deny myself individually, but rather it involves all the network of relationships in that kind of a culture that says in those relationships, rather than my will and my ego and my earthly intentions will dictate how this relationship goes, it is, Jesus, what would you have me do in this relationship? 
You know, one of the most troubling passages in the Bible that involves relationships is, is, is that which um, uh, occurs between a husband and a wife. And Paul talks about this um, in, in, in the latter part of the book of Ephesians where he says, um, wives, submit to your husbands. And that's how, the, that's how the paragraph begins. And a lot of husbands have taken their earthly self-understanding, their pride and their willfulness and all the categories of what it means to be a man, and they've said, you need to be in subjection to me. And the end result is it, it, it totally disrupts what God is trying to accomplish in that relationship. Because of the unfortunate nature of the translation, it first says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, I don't know about you, but Christ has never been abusive. He's never been heavy-handed. He's never been oppressive in ways that are abusive. He's called me out based on his word and his character, but mostly based on his love. He has asked me to do things for him that my will said, I don't know if I want to do that. But it's all been in the spirit of the character and the love of God. And when Paul writes these words, he's saying, I'm going to start with you men first. When you look at your wife, imagine yourself as Jesus. And then imagine yourself looking at yourself as Jesus sees you. And then take that image and apply it to how you now see your wife. I don't know if you captured that or said that well, but um, essentially what Jesus is saying is, I'm here to redefine everything about your life through one question. And that is, how will I process my relationship to my spouse, to my children, to my coworkers, to people on the street, to my neighbors? How will I process my reaction, my response to them? And the answer is always, how would Jesus do that? But if you don't know who Jesus is, which clearly people were not clued into who Jesus was up until this point. Everybody's saying, I think he's this, I think he's that, I'm not sure. There's a lot of confusion about his identity. But finally, after nine chapters, Peter says, I think I know. You are the Messiah. It took him a little bit of time to connect the dots. Because Jesus has actually been kind of asking this question up till now, if you're, if you're tracking carefully. And a lot of us are in that place where we're still connecting dots to try to figure out who this God is, who this Jesus is, and how it works. And Jesus is saying, fundamentally, it works by first getting out of the way and then letting me work through you. That is a long process of daily asking God to give me the wisdom and give me the perspective and give me the heart to respond to people in a spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
And the only way you can get that is by having the Holy Spirit inhabit your life. And the only way you can get that is by being transferred out of darkness and into God's family so that that enabling can occur. All of that stuff, I as a pastor have to try to communicate to our people that this is a vital step in order for God to come alive in you because it does make the difference, all the difference in the world. It makes a difference on how you begin to relate to your spouse, how you relate to your kids whenever they just annoy you to no end. I mean, I remember when our kids were little, and I love our kids, but I could tell that my wife and I were ready for a break when somebody said, we'll take your kids for the night. You know what we did? We went and watched a movie, and we're like, we haven't done this for so long. We said, let's go watch this other one next. So we went and watched that. And after we got in watching that, we're like, hey, let's watch another one while we're on a roll. So we went to another movie theater, and we watched another one. And then we're like, hey, let's just watch one more just for, just for kicks. We must have watched eight hours worth of movies. And I don't know how much money we dropped at the theater and how much popcorn that we ate. We've never done it since. But it was like, oh, finally a break. Just time together with you and I at the movie theater again and again and again and again. Sometimes you make up for lost time that way, and sometimes you may be saying, I'm just now getting started with this Jesus thing. And Jesus is okay with that. But he wants you to start out with the right attitude that he comes first. I'll define this another way. Every marriage that I perform, I perform as a covenant-making ceremony because I know that couple is going to have an argument, and I know that, car- that argument is going to escalate into you know, a cold war, and I know sometimes it will last for days. Sometimes it doesn't end. But for those who are in the covenant process, And I can't judge anybody on how they respond to it. There's an assurance that if Jesus is in the middle of this relationship and you are struggling, he has made himself responsible and available to help you with whatever it is that's your problem. But your requirement is that you submit to one another out of a spirit of humility. If somebody asks me, what does it mean to deny yourself and take up your cross? That's just one example of many. It's an image of essentially being told you've lost the rights to your life to do what you want to do, and we're going to make you carry this cross to your death. Now, Jesus uses that image as a metaphor uh, because he says do it every day. You, can't, you can only do that once in reality. So it's not a literal take up your cross. But what he is suggesting is just ponder that image for a second. But then think about it this way. The cross that you're carrying is actually the death to yourself every day. And I don't know about you, but even in this church in my role, I, I shed tears on how many times Leonard has gotten in the way. Because I know when it's Leonard doing it, 
It's just Leonard doing it. And the same applies to my marriage. And the same applies to my kids. But I can tell you, whenever I am doing my job on a daily basis, I'm asking God, please work in me and through me and help me to overcome myself when my will is getting in the way. Jesus is trying to establish something in the hearts and minds of his followers that is a necessary prerequisite for the new vision that he's casting, for a new humanity, for life to work. Because the problem isn't just the Romans saying, you either do what we tell you to do or we're going to beat the you-know-what out of you. The problem is deeper than that. It really has to do with people in that region getting up, looking at their wife or their husband, and the day starts with, man, your breath stinks, to downhill from there. And Jesus understands that the problem is personal for all of us. We all have to deny the cross and follow him. The second thing that I, I want to mention is not just that image of the cross and us taking it up daily, but what's the point? Where's it all going? Because it doesn't just help us out on the ground level. It is actually a way of helping us to redefine our own being around the life of Jesus, where we are kind of more like him in so many ways because he is actually the exemplar, the model, the image of what it means to be a human being. And God says, I want you guys to live forever with me. Have you ever tried to invite a stranger into your house? You ever done that? Um, a homeless person? He said, come on in. It's a scary proposition, isn't it? Probably sleep with one or two eyes open because you don't know the person. You don't know their heart. You don't know what they're going to do. And what God is doing is he's getting to know you and I. He's inviting us into his house, and he does it through the blood of Christ because we can't get there on our own. We are justified by faith through the grace that says, come on in. And when God does that for you and I, he's saying, you used to be a stranger, but now that you started to see your life through my son, you're really becoming an old friend. And God's at work in our lives, discipling us that way. This is really a passage about discipleship. But the question, where is it all going? Because it's a vision not only for life now, where we're living at the ground level in a crazy world with relationships that don't always work, but it is for the life to come. And so he throws out another image. He says, when it's all over, the word glory is actually referred to three times. The glory of the Father, the glory of the Son, the Messiah, and the glory of the holy angels that are gathered around. Who's missing? The Holy Spirit is actually in us. 
enabling us to experience that glory together with him. And as he cast that vision for you and I, it's a compelling vision, isn't it? It's not like my trip to the Comfort Inn a while back that I mentioned, you know. All the stuff on the internet said that's a safe place to take your family. But all they were really showing you was an image of what it looked like maybe 10 years ago and rooms whenever they're first built. But when you get there and you walk in, you're like, that isn't what I saw. I thought this would be a glorious moment and it's such a scary moment. What God is saying is, I'm just going to give you an image of a glorious moment that the volume is just going to get turned up on so, so high that you'll be overwhelmed. So I'll just use words for now. It's going to be good. So much better than anything you've experienced here on earth. I want you to begin to experience it now through the life I'm calling you to live in my son. I've been at this for over 30 years. And it's not because of the normal reasons that you're after something. It's because I've been called to do it, and my primary calling is to introduce people to Jesus. And I want to do that every chance I get, even now as we end, because that is the goal here of this place, is to know him. And the reason why this is so important is because I know where we're going, and I don't want anybody to miss out on it. Because whatever you're doing in this life that is so great, it's going to become pretty meaningless and insignificant compared to that. I'll just end it with this. I was watching a tractor video last night. Surprise. And uh, this guy had collected bulldozers. He had over 200 bulldozers. This guy's probably pushing 80. And uh, he's saying, don't tell anybody I got these bulldozers. But he brings a farmer friend over, and they shoot the YouTube video of it. And I'm, I'm looking at all these bulldozers. And you know what my thought was? How in the world is he going to take them with him? Then my second thought was, and I hope my wife's not listening, what is she going to do with all those bulldozers when he's gone? It's a lot of baggage. And I love my tractor, but I'll tell you what, if it was me and the Lord, it can go. Or anything else I have for that matter. Because there's nothing like knowing him personally as our Lord, as our Savior, as our friend, as our companion. And I just want to bring you to his feet and say, Jesus, would you meet Susie? Jesus, would you meet Brent? Would you meet Rachel? And so we need to be praying about one another in this room about these messages as we prepare to come in every Sunday, that that would happen. So I'm just going to end in prayer, and I'm going to ask Rich if he'll come up and lead us into our communion time. Lord Jesus, you know our hearts. 
You know our waywardness. You know our mixed motives and feelings. And yet, you still see us through eyes of love. And you've drawn us into a space where we can hear your word and we can see images of your life depicted in story. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that the significance of what that means as Luke intended it, as we are supposed to understand it, would impress itself upon each heart here. That if there's anyone here who is in that place where they recognize, I've been keeping you at arm's length long enough. You've made me angry because you've made demands on me, and I'm, I'm getting rid of that pride, Lord. It's, I've been doing it for too long. Lord, I just come before you open-armed armed, and saying, would you help me? Lord, I pray that you would help each of us in this room to come to that place where we say, yes, I want you, Lord Jesus, and you alone. I consent to you to be my Lord and Savior. And Lord Jesus, I just pray that if that is happening in this room, you help us here on ground level to come alongside anyone that would seek to know you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If that's your desire, please come and see me after the worship or anybody that looks like they know what they're doing because that's our goal here today. As you open up your communion, we want to make a space for you to do that. I'd ask you to hold on to it. Um, and we want to make it the practice here. I just want to tell you, and I don't want to sound confrontational or anything like that, but please hold your communion until we get done praying and even after you get done praying okay even if you pray into the song that we begin after communion and you take it at some point in there hold it till then if you need to spend that time with the lord um this is this is a very communion is a time that god takes very seriously and um this is what the apostle paul writes about it for what i received from the lord what i also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Focus on that when you hold the bread. Do this in remembrance of me. Communion is remembering. It's all the things that, it's remembering the one thing that bought our freedom, the one, the one who bought our freedom freedom from sin and all the that it causes within our lives. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. It's by the blood of Jesus, the spilled blood of Christ, that we have salvation. Think about how immense that is we have an eternity restored to the god be restored to our god because of his bleeding his shed blood god by his blood poured out his wrath on his son so that he wouldn't on us so that he satisfied his justice to purchase our mercy. And so as we come into this time, Lord Jesus, we focus 
are on you and all the things that trip us up, all the things that uh, by your word today you've put within us so that we might evaluate. We lay those things before the cross and confess to you that your blood is greater and can cover it and can deliver us from it. Whatever sin, whatever sinful anxiety that is in us that causes us to, all of our anxiety are markers of where we don't trust you. Whatever it is, you are better than, you are perfect. So strengthen our faith. Let us not just uh, come to this point in the service and check the box and sing the song. This is where we deal. This is where you deal with us and we meet each other and we have communion with our God who rescued us so that we might have peace with our God who's redeemed us. Spirit, as we go on from this time, help us to stay in it until you are satisfied and we have peace with you. I pray if there's anybody here that needs to speak and talk with somebody that we'd be available and you would help that to happen and that you would bring those meetings to, be, to being and help us to revere our great God who loved us first. And it's in his wonderful name we pray. Amen.
closer to you so we can learn to rely on you and lean to you more and more so as we go from this place God I pray that we keep you first in everything we share your love with everybody that we can pray for broken bones to heal for faith through sickness through broken relationships to heal and if they don't heal, for your faith to get through that as well, God. You are with us always, and always, always we thank you, God. We love you and give this time to you. Amen. Go get your kids. If not, we'll see you next week. <laughs>